So open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to try and uh, use some technology here. And uh, so if you want to take notes, you can. I've entitled the series, Things to Come. And uh, so we're going to uh, be looking at uh, just an overview tonight of the major end time events and sort of how it flows. And uh, as time allows the scripture uh, to uh, validate that. And then we'll go back and start walking through these uh, one after another. Here in Matthew 25, this is the middle of a sermon Jesus preached called the Olivet Discourse, which really is uh, about the end times. And he tells a story here at the beginning of chapter 25, very familiar, uh, about the ten uh, virgins. Five were prepared, five were not. I'll read the parable or the story and uh, then you'll see why as we come to the conclusion of it. Verse 1 says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves." While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with them to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Here is the point of this, verse 13. Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. As I've taught you before, parables are not to be analyzed down to every little jot and tittle and every, every little statement has some hidden meaning. There is one major truth in a parable. And the truth of this parable is nobody knows when Jesus is coming. You have to be ready. You have to be ready. And, you know, we've all heard teaching about the coming of the Lord but few of us live with that sense of the imminence of his return in the forefront of our mind. It tends to drift to the back of our mind and it gets brought back up, but then it drifts to the back of our mind again. Uh, of course, I grew up in the States. I just read a book about uh, Buzz Aldrin and the, those who walked on the moon. And I remember watching different launches from the Kennedy Space Center. And, you know, at the final few seconds, the countdown, 10, 9, 8, 
seven, that anticipation growing, and then it hits zero, and boom, there it's taking off, and and looking forward to that kind of a time. Well, the truth is, it's only a matter of time, and it's far nearer than it ever has been before. God alone knows, and God alone is the one in control of that, but we are not to be overwhelmed with it, where we become so distracted by these truths that we don't live in today's world effectively, but neither are we to be careless about it and say, well, it hasn't happened yet. The Apostle Paul thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. So, you know, let's just case sera, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. As we look at the world in which we live, and as we consider the scriptures that speak about these events, many would have to say, and I, I would be a part of this group, that, you know, that countdown, if you want to use that in your imagination, 10, nah, it's already started. When it's going to happen, I really don't know, but I do know we are to be prepared. So the first thing I, I want you to get, uh, just settle in your mind, just a few reminders. Number one, no man knows when it's going to happen. No man knows. The Bible repeatedly tells us to watch, to be ready. Verse 13, that we read, watch, therefore you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is getting ready to uh, ascend to the Father's right hand. Verse 6 says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore uh, the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. I remember 1988, first church I was pastoring. I became a pastor in 1986. I'd been an assistant pastor for seven years. 1988, a red book came in the mailbox. It was mailed to pastors all across North America. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. Hmm. Something happened. Didn't happen, did it? And that's happened repeatedly throughout history. So settle it in your mind. No man knows. Also, understand that the Bible does describe, though, what that time will be like. The Bible does describe what that time will be like. You read passages like 1 Timothy 4.1 where the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul speak about in the latter times. Or in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, he made reference to in the last days. And what did he say about those last days? He said they are perilous times. They are perilous times. Now, what does that word perilous mean? It means they are heavy or difficult or dangerous times. And so the Bible is describing uh, for us what it's going to be like, but it doesn't tell us exactly so that we can say, well, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, 
this is going to happen. That same Greek word that is translated perilous there in 2 Timothy 3.1 is used in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28 uh, regarding the two demon-possessed men that met Jesus. And the Bible says about those men that they were exceeding fierce. So there's no doubt that God is saying that as it gets closer to Christ coming for his own in the rapture of the church, it will be a dangerous time. It will be a difficult time for believers. It will be a heavy time for believers. But exactly what that means, we don't know. So you can ask yourself, are these perilous times? Well, that depends on your view of things, I guess. I would suggest that there's some indication that these are perilous times with the growing conflicts between uh, the Muslim extremists around the world and, and how they're attacking innocent people or the persecution of believers that seems to be increasing more and more around the world and the constant tension that seems to be on a hair trigger between some of the nations surrounding Israel and Israel itself, I would suggest that there are some perilous times. And thirdly, the Bible revelation is just as true today as it's always been. And God is wanting us who are to be Berean searching the scriptures daily, who are to be students of the word of God, studying to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, not to be interpreting the Bible by the news, but rather to be considering the news through the lens of the Bible. What is, what is revealed to us in the news may or may not be accurate. Have you figured that one out? I, I promise you. Read it with a healthy dose of skepticism. But the Bible is always true. God's word is always true. So don't let what men say to cause you to look at the Bible through their eyes, but rather look at what men are reporting through the word of God. Okay, just some reminders that I think would be healthy. So an overview of end time events. What is the next thing that is on God's agenda or God's calendar? Well, the first thing that we know of is the rapture of the saints or the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter four. Speaks to this event. Verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or those who have preceded you in death, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the rapture and the second coming of Christ are not the same thing. The first coming of Christ was in his incarnation, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. The rapture, the Lord doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the sky. There's a shout. There's the sound of the trumpet. The dead in Christ, that means all those who had died uh, in, in this church age, uh, will be called forth. And then those who are alive, who are saved, uh, will rise and will be forever with the Lord. But the Lord doesn't come to the earth. That's not his second coming. So what happens <clears throat> immediately after the rapture for the saints? Well, a couple things you need to understand before I say that. The word rapture is not in the Bible, okay? The word means a catching away or a snatching away. And so it's going to be a cataclysmic event, an unexpected event, and believers are just going to disappear from wherever they are, whatever they're doing. Jesus talks about that in the parable. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two will be in the bed, one will be taken, the other will be left. All of those images that, to teach us that only those who are saved will be taken in the rapture. And so after the rapture, apart from a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of uh, suppositions offered to explain what happened, life will proceed for those who are unsaved on earth. But for all those who are saved, they will be in heaven. So that is the ending of the church age as we know it. Obviously, the church speaking about called out assemblies. All saved people will be called away. Where is the Holy Spirit? He indwells the believers. So the, the uh, salt and light uh, of the, the working of the Holy Spirit through believers, that'll all be removed. Uh, the, the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit in earth, that is because of believers, will be removed as well. So a couple things that will happen for believers during the next few years, it's seven years, and I'll, I'll tell you what's going on during that time on earth. Number one, well, first, they're, they're, the rapture means a snatching away, as I said, and only those who have been saved and are alive at that time will be raptured. I mean, taken out. Those who are dead will be raised first. If I get a little lost in these slides, it's because they're so small, I can hardly see them. So we're, we're, we're sort of guessing here, but hopefully this, if you're trying to take notes, this helps. Okay, so uh, what happens for believers who are with the Lord? Number one, we have the judgment seat of Christ. This is, we don't face our sin. Our sin was dealt with at the cross. This is all about what's happened in our life since we were saved. This is that judgment that is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when 
the, our life will be gone through the, the torch test, if you want to put it, to see whether our life has been focused on wood, hay, and stubble, that which does not last, or gold, silver, and precious stone. Romans talks about who are you to judge one another? We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Romans 14.10 says. Her 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And here's one, uh, well, two simple thoughts here. We'll elaborate on this more when we go into the study. But one is, every believer will be there. And you can't blame anybody else. You're on your own. And number two, and even more profoundly, you may fool people here, but you will not fool God. Okay? So we will all, as a result of the rapture, be at the judgment seat of Christ. But then also, we will have the celebratory supper together, the marriage supper of the Lamb, described in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. And he saith unto me, verse 9, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So seven years are set aside for the judgment seat of Christ where every believer will give an accounting for their life as to whether or not it was invested in the eternal or invested in the temporal. And then we will have that gathering together with our blessed Savior that the Lord's Supper that we celebrate as local churches is uh, preemptive to. It's, it's to set us to understand that one day we won't have to talk about the Lord in abstentia. We'll be in his presence. Okay? So the rapture, the first major event some sub-reasons or sub-events as a result. While all that is going on, I said seven years because on earth is the great tribulation. Matthew 24, 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Or Revelation 7, 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Which teaches us that there will be some saved during the tribulation. But I believe that not, no one who has ever heard the gospel had the opportunity to be saved before that will be saved during the tribulation. Uh, Tim LaHaye wrote the series Left Behind, he and Jerry Jenkins, and a lot of people enjoyed it and enjoyed the movies, but they were wrong on that one. Because they indicated that people would have a second chance. Now, just think about the logic of that. If that were true, then, you know, if somebody has a wrong philosophy, they want to party hard, they're going to party hard because they'll get another chance later on. No. Like the virgins who were not prepared, they're left outside. It's a sad thing, 
I'm not happy about that, but that's the truth. The Great Tribulation. So what happens during the Great Tribulation? Well, it includes some judgments that are named in scriptures. I'll give you in just a moment. But just uh, to tie it all together in your mind, you go back to the Old Testament book, the book of Daniel, and God lays out a prophetic calendar in Daniel of 490 weeks, each week representing seven years, or 70 weeks, I'm sorry, each week uh, representing seven years. 69 weeks are laid out and then it's suspended. There is one more week, which is Daniel's 70th week, the seven years of the rapture. That's why often the book of Daniel and the book of the Revelation are studied together. Uh, but that's just um, for your thinking there. So what is going to happen? Well, things like the Antichrist, the beast will rise. Satan will be very active to deceive. There will be false Christs that uh, are prevalent. Re Revelation 14 talks about the 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes, 144,000 who will be declaring the, the truth of the gospel during that time and others will be saved. But there are also several judgments that uh, are named. The seals judgment in Revelation chapter 5. Uh, well, we're running out of time. We'll, we'll come back and look at them. The trumpets judgment in Revelation chapter 8. And the vials or the bowl judgment, Revelation chapter 16. Now just, just to whet your appetite, I've always in my mind wondered how did these seals work? Well, remember, they didn't have bound books like we have. You know, they didn't have bound books. They had scrolls. So the scroll was sealed then another scroll was sealed, then another scroll was sealed, and uh, as those seals were broken, each scroll revealed another judgment. That's the seals. The vials or the bowls, they picture the angels pouring out God's judgment. And if you really study the tribulation time, I forgot the exact numbers, but it's nearly 50% of the people on planet Earth will die during those seven years. It, 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 you can't even imagine how awful the judgment will be. And it will all end with the battle of Armageddon. You ever go to Israel, one of the places you stop and overlook is the Valley of Megiddo. It is a very wide and flat valley and you can picture the armies from the north coming and, and the Lord leading his army forward to such a massive battle. That will bring to a close the Great Tribulation. And as the Lord is victorious in that battle, now that leads us into the second coming of Christ.
This is when Jesus comes to this earth, riding the white horse with his angels and with you and me who are saved to come back and establish his messianic kingdom that will last for a thousand years. What is one of the first things that will happen? He will cast Satan and his minions into the lake of fire or into hell judgment for 1,000 years. So as Satan has been vigorous and active for seven years, now he's cast away for 1,000 years and the Lord establishes his perfect rule and reign. His second coming will be literal, it will be physical, and he'll return to this earth and rule from the throne of David as was prophesied in the Old Testament numerous, numerous times. That millennial reign of Christ is what follows the second coming and it, uh, there will be no question about judgment, there will be no question about authority because a perfect ruler will be on the throne. What will happen? Well, he establish, he'll establish his kingdom and he'll judge in perfect righteousness. The Bible says at the end of the thousand years that Satan will be loosed for a brief time. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. I've just been telling you, we've not been looking at the scriptures for sake of time because this is an overview, but I want you to see some of it here. Revelation 20. <clears throat> By the way, if you were to read the early portion of this chapter, it, it repeatedly speaks of the thousand years. Verse two, a thousand years. Verse three, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, etc. But look at verse number seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So how long that brief period of time is, the Bible doesn't say, but God releases him one last time for one last brief period of time for those who would be deceived. You say, well, why would God do that? Because God created man with a free will to choose. You choose to believe in God or not. And one last time, people have an opportunity to believe in God or follow Satan's lies. But as soon as God, uh, you know, it's nice to be on the winning side. You know, Satan's not the one in control here. God throws him into the lake of fire for a period of time, lets him out for a brief time, calls it his prison. Then forever he's sealed in the lake of fire. 
So after his last little bit of freedom to do his evil, Satan and his minions are judged for all eternity. Verse number 10. What happens next? The great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is only for believers. The great white throne judgment is only for unbelievers. All unbelievers of all time will stand before God and be judged. And there are degrees of punishment in hell. Hitler will not be judged the same as the nice little grandma who tried to make her way to heaven by her good works. Though she will still, if she didn't believe in Jesus Christ, spend eternity in an awful place. And again, I don't say that joyfully. I say it factually because that's what the Bible says. So this is the judgment of all unsaved, of all human history, and then they are cast into their judgment. And that begins in verse number 11 of chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What an awful, awful reality. Well, then what happened? All the unsaved of all time are cast into their eternal judgment. Two more things. Number one, the Bible talks about the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21.1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. She never looked better than on her wedding day. And that's what God wants us to picture. A new heaven and a new earth. Well, then what? Eternity begins. For the redeemed, forever. We've already had a thousand and seven years in the presence of the Lord, if we were saved at that point in time. But forever now, we are in the presence of God. Revelation 21 and 22 describe how verse 4 of 21, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There's much speculation why there would still be tears at this point in time. I think it doesn't take a whole lot of thought to understand. There are those that uh, we know, those that we care about, that never got saved. There could, be, there could be a lot of re, or tears of regret. But at that point in time, God says, the past is past. You can't change it. We're entering into eternity now. He'll wipe away all tears. Listen to the description. No more death. I won't have to do another funeral. No more sorrow. No more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. 
for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And the remainder of the book of Revelation, in a very synopsis form, gives us a little glimpse of what heaven will be like as we enter into eternity with God. Now, my goal tonight was not to answer all your questions. In fact, my goal for this series is not to answer all your questions. But my goal is that we understand that this is truth. This is what God says will happen. And as God's people, we are to know the truth, be motivated by the truth, and look forward to our time with the Lord. Not to miss opportunities today to serve, but to serve with a new enthusiasm because one day the trumpet's going to sound. One day the shout will take place. And one day those who are believers in Christ will be called out to be with the Lord for eternity. I don't know if the slides helped you if you wanted to take notes, but uh, this is how I teach in college and uh, I thought I'd try it. We were able to hook up so I could control it up here and not have to have somebody out uh, of the service doing it. So I hope it was a help. If not, uh, humor me. Uh, but anyway, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just trying to help you have information and we'll try and do this throughout the series. All right, let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we are thankful that we can know the God of eternity personally. And one day, Lord, we'll be able to be with you in heaven. But until then, help us to be faithful. Until then, help us to be a voice. Help us to be a herald of truth. Help us to compassionately and passionately do all we can so that those around us have no excuse but that they would know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and has provided a way of salvation for them. So Lord, I pray that this study would be helpful, useful, strengthening to our church that will be all you want us to be. For it's in your name we pray, amen.